And uh, tonight we're going to consider and think of a marriage proposal. That's what's happening there as we turn to chapter 3 in this short book of Ruth. Many have said that um, perhaps this is the finest uh, short love story that's ever been written. But if we think about it, the whole of Scripture is really a love story, isn't it? That um, when we were moving just before Christmas, we were packing up and and on our mantelpiece back in Merthyr, we, we had this, um, this little picture, and on it was the inscription, every page whispers his name. And that's true, isn't it? When we come to Scripture, every page whispers his name. Uh, and so there is a link from this morning to this evening. And if you just turn me, with me to the book of Ruth, and we'll do as we did this morning, we'll, we'll say the story so far, which will help us with the context as we come to the peculiar goings-on, shall we say, in chapter 3, the story so far. And we're introduced in chapter 1 to this man called Elimelech. And actually, here's a link to this morning's theme. This morning's theme was the king and his kingdom. And actually, the name Elimelech means the Lord is king. He's an interesting character because we might say that uh, rather than being prayerful, um, he was a pragmatist. And whilst there was a famine in the land, in, ironically, in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread, there was no bread. And so he took uh, his wife and uh, their two sons and they headed for the land of Moab. And now again, the land of Moab and the people of Moab were a people that God distinctly told them uh, not, uh, uh, not to have contact with, to avoid. Why? Because they were ungodly. Uh, uh, they, were, they were opposed to, the, uh, the Isra- to Israel's God and, uh, and they were indeed uh, those who um, worshipped um, idolatry and were involved in all sorts of crass and awful practices like child sacrifice and such like. And yet they went, and you might say that uh, he was being pragmatic. I remember some years ago um, speaking with a family, um, you don't know them, they're a Christian family, and they made some odd choices. Perhaps you make odd choices. Perhaps we're, we're prone to making strange and odd choices and uh, they made some odd choices and I just gently asked them why they were making these choices and they said well the thing is Andy you've got to understand we're pragmatists in other words uh, that um, we're we're trying to weigh everything up and and, uh, we're taking the pragmatic view and I just gently challenged them and say well well, that's okay but um, where does God fit in to all this and that's the key as we come to, to look at this short story uh, of, of Ruth and Naomi in particular. Um, where does God fit in to the choices that you make and the decisions you make from day to day? God doesn't want us to be pr- um, pragmatic. He wants us to be biblical. He, he wants us to be prayerful. He wants us to live careful lives and prayerful lives. He wants us to live lives uh, that are seeking him and beseeching him that he might guide us 
with his eye, that he might gently show us and reveal to us through his word, with the aid of his spirit who lives in us, that, that we might indeed make the very most of what God gives us and make the most of the life that he gives us. Maybe um, you have a desire. I certainly have a desire that um, I, I want to I live a life for the glory of God. I want to live, live a life that will, will make a difference and be a difference. And I would hate to think that after my days, that perhaps my family and those who knew me the best said, oh, well, he's okay, Andy, but, um, but he, wasted, he wasted years, he wasted time, he wasted perhaps um, opportunities. I would hate that. Uh, um, and so um, I'd, ra- I'd rather burn out than rust out. And, and, uh, and I think we, we need to be very careful that we're living lives for the glory of God. Distinctive lives. Our lives should be distinctive from, from all the corruption that we see around us, from all, all the, the wickedness and the evilness that abounds in these days. And, uh, but we, we keep our eye on, on the Saviour. We keep our eye on the King. And we say, Lord, these are challenging days. They're desperate days. And uh, men and women, I have a friend who is in the ministry, and he has behind his um, uh, um, desk in, in his study, it says this, a big big poster it says um, people who die without Christ go to hell and every day he enters into his study he sees that it reminds him that the seriousness of of, of people dying without knowing um, the savior well this this book is about um, God's providential care of his people even those people who, who make odd choices God is sovereign in all things and we read something of his providential care in giving a redeemer. If you're a Christian tonight, this is a reminder to us through his word of God's providential care for you and for me, and in particular, his, his love expressed and demonstrated so, so wonderfully in that when we, we look to the cross, we see the demonstration of God's love for us in that whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still dead in our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. And so Elimelech, uh, he went and they spent 10 years there. And whilst they were there, he died. And uh, their two sons who married Moabite women, they died. And so it leaves these, these two daughters-in-law and Naomi. And of course, the story goes like this, uh, uh, that, that Orpah um, came in, in initially and then she returned back to the land of Moab. But Ruth, within her heart, she was sensing uh, that she needed to go with Naomi. Now, what was happening in Ruth's heart? Well, we can say that she was being pursued by God's grace, that God was at work in her heart. And we see a turning point and we see her testimony, and it's a very powerful testimony. And you cannot be a Christian unless you have a testimony. Well, this is Ruth's testimony found in chapter 1. And, and she basically said this, uh, that um, I will return with you to your people. Wherever you go, I will go. Um, wherever you live, I will live. Um, nothing will separate us uh, apart from death itself. And so your people have become my people. Your God has become my God. What's happened to this young Moabitess? God, by his grace, has worked in her heart. She is pursued by grace. 
And after this 10 year period or, or in excess of 10 years, when they return to Bethlehem, the, the, the word on the street is this. Have you heard? No. <laughs> Naomi is back in town. Really? My goodness, how long has it been? Should be more than 10 years. And Well, we think it's Naomi. I mean, we're pretty sure it's her, but she looks different. Perhaps her, her, her countenance had been disfigured by, by the sorrow and the loss that she, uh, ha, as a mother, um, as a wife, has endured. And she said, don't call me Naomi, which literally means sweetness. It's a lovely name, isn't it? Sweetness. Call me Mara. Because she'd returned home um, bitter. And yet, when we come to chapter 2, we see that not only is God, by his grace, pursuing Ruth, but he's pursuing Naomi, and he is at work in her heart also. And we know that um, they were without they were without provisions, they were without food uh, from which they were able to survive. And so Ruth, that get-up-and-go young lass, uh, she went and she took advantage of the provision that God, um, by in his law, had provided so that when ha- harvest time came, that um, they weren't to harvest the corners of the field, they were to allow the corners of the field uh, to be gleaned by those within the community, perhaps the widen- widows and those um, who, who were poor and destitute. And so she went gleaning. And it just so happens that Ruth is gleaning in the field of a man called Boaz. And this man, Boaz, um, is an honourable man. He's a man of integrity. But more significantly, he's a man who knows the living God. And he seeks to live a life to honour his God. And so the story goes that, uh, that he notices Ruth and uh, he allows Ruth to, to, to glean uh, in his field. But also um, he, he tells the young women, um, just, you know, keep an eye and help her out. He, he warns the young men, right? N- no nonsense now, you know? You make sure that you're well behaved and you're respectful and you care for her. He offered her food and she ate with them and sent her home to her mother-in-law with with, um, barley and other supplies. And and so as we come to chapter 3, the story is is moving at a pace. But God's grace is evident. God's providential care is coming to the fore. God is here And uh, we come to chapter 3 and to the unusual circumstances. Look at verse 1 with me as we come to chapter 3. Then Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not uh, seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And and so um, Naomi is now preoccupied with Ruth's care and with Ruth's protection. Now, the bitterness has has, um, evaporated. God is working in her heart. She really now is preoccupied with with Ruth and her care. And she's thinking of the future. Not her future, but Ruth's future. She is is putting the needs of Ruth before her own needs. 
Isn't that exactly the same theme and tone that the Apostle Paul um, was mentioning when he wrote to the Church of Philippi? He says, you know, make sure that, that, um, that, the, that you operate and live uh, for, the, for the needs and the interests of others. Put the interests of others before your own needs. Are you doing that? As a believer tonight, are you doing that as a church? That actually ensuring that, that um, you're putting your own needs to one side and you're ensuring that others' um, needs are, are, are met. And so Ruth here um, is preoccupied with, sorry, Naomi here is preoccupied with Ruth's care and protection. She has a genuine concern for her. And then she says this, is not Boaz our relative? with whose young men you have been uh, working with. Interesting that they come to Bethlehem and um, they come as widows. And Ruth is wearing the clothes of a widow. Now she's wearing the clothes of a worker. And as we come to chapter 3, she'll soon be wearing the clothes ready for a wedding. Do you see how, by God's grace, how the story develops and it's developing because God is, is superintending all these events. Just as he superintends all the events and circumstances in your life and in my life. He cares deeply. I used to sing as a child uh, that um, not a single sparrow falls to the ground apart from his command. See the lilies of the field in glorious raiment stand. He can also trace, this is God, he can also trace the smallest creature he has made. And tenderly, he loves them all. And in that song, there's a question and poses this question. Can the great eternal one take care of one like me? Can he find the time to listen to my earnest plea? That's a question, isn't it? Yes, he can. Yes, he will. Every promise he'll fulfill. This I know, he loves me still. Oh, praise his name. And so God is showing, not just Naomi but Ruth, that, that, uh, that his providential care of them and, and the, the promises that he has made for his people will stand firm and stand fast. We can, we can hold God accountable to his word. His word is faithful. His word is true. His word is just. He's dependable. You know, we, we, you've seen the shenanigans, I'm no doubt, that's, that's been unfolding in, in, in Westminster of late. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm beginning to tire of the whole thing when, when particularly there are other needs, particularly spiritual needs in the land. I just pray, Lord, raise up men and women and put them in, in, in places of influence so that they can, they can say, look, there are needs, but the greatest need that we face as a nation is our need of God. The greatest need that you, you face as a family or as a local church is the, our need of God. And, and the greatest need that Naomi de de determines for her and for Ruth is to know the providential care and protection of their God. And so she says, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you've, you've been working with? See, he is winnowing 
barley tonight at the threshing floor. Winnowing's the process where they basically separate uh, uh, the, 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 the barley grains from, from the husks. That's the process of winnowing. And so she said, get yourself ready. And this, this is more than a date. This is more than... What we have here is, is, is righteousness, integrity, subtlety. We, we see something being played out here. It, it's not cheap. It is something that is wonderful. And she says, make yourself ready. Now, what does she do? The first thing she does is she has a wash. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? Right? If you're going to meet someone... Uh, um, someone of significance, or anyone to that matter, it's always good to have, have a wash. Wash yourself and, and anoint yourself and, and put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking, but observe where he, the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. Now, this is a bit odd, isn't it? And he will tell you what to do. This is the amazing thing. This shows to me that, that Ruth really has a, a, holds her mother-in-law in high esteem. She has a high regard for her. She says, whatever you say, I will do. And I've got a lovely mother-in-law living with me at the moment, see? I'm not sure that I... And for the last 30-odd years, I'm not sure that I would, I'd be quick to do whatever she, she suggested to me. But Ruth really has a love and a respect for her mother-in-law, whatever you say, I will do. It's wonderful, isn't it, where, you know, she's not lacking discernment, but in her heart, she knows, she knows that, that, that Boaz can be significant, not just to her, but to maintaining the name of Elimelech, so that his name will not be erased from his family records. And so what's being played out here is, is love? Sure it is. But also it's righteousness. They're behaving and acting in ways for righteousness' sake. And, you know, I think it was at Jesus' baptism when he, he, he talked about these things are necessary for righteousness' sake. That the Lord himself, the King of glory came to earth, humbled himself, became a man, took on flesh, but he was concerned that, that, that he, he lived in a way that would honour God for righteousness' sake. That's what we're seeing here being played out. And, and so she went. Look at verse 6. She went down to the threshing floor. She did as her mother-in-law had commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and he lay down, um, she, she then came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, and he said, verse 9, Who are you? And she answered, listen to how she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, that's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? I can't say it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a common chat-up line, is it? You know, or a common way to propose marriage. But where does that phrase come from? Well, actually, if you go back to chapter 2, when she asked the question, why, verse 10 of chapter 2, why have I found favour, why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? 
And Boaz answered, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under, here we have it, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And, and she uses a similar phrase here now uh, in chapter, chapter 3. And she says, um, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What she's saying is this, that I am trusting God for his providential care. I am trusting God for the here and now, but I am trusting God that he holds my future in his hands. He has a plan and a purpose for my future. And so I believe, here we have it, being pursued by grace, God's at work in our heart. I believe that as I'm, I'm coming to trust and to take refuge and shelter under the very wings of God, I believe that you are the man. That's what she's saying. You are the man that God has given for me so that I might know the continued providential care that God has for me. And he'll show that and demonstrate his care and his love and grace for me through you. Wow, what a, what a marriage proposal. You know what my marriage proposal is? Will you marry me? Oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> Will you marry me? Now, listen, uh, if you know Viv, then you probably understand this a little better. But uh, I, should have, I should have foreseen what was going to happen. Because when I asked her out for a date, right, will you go out on a date with me? She didn't say yes or no, and of course I'd rehearsed this in my mind, uh, and, uh, and I thought, well, if she says yes, great. If she says no, well, there's plenty more fish in the sea. No, no, no. <laughs> but she didn't say yes or no. Will you go on a date with me? She said, where? <laughs> well, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> you know. So when I asked her to marry me, I, I should have expected, but I didn't. I thought, yes or no? I, I was convinced that she'd say yes. But who knows? You never know, do you? Will you marry me? And then she said, when? <laughs> well, I don't know. I hadn't thought of that either. <laughs> that was our marriage proposal. But here, it, it's subtle, but it's, it's gracious, it's, it's, it's loving. But God is at the heart of what's happening. It's not sordid. It, it's, it's not running the risk of, oh, will they end up in bed together? None of that. God is at the heart of this. And of course, this is, we have to understand their culture. You know, and, and ultimately, her hope was found, would be found in a kinsman redeemer, a near relative. And that's her hope. And Boaz, according to Naomi, Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. She, he, was, he was someone within the family who could redeem all that's been lost and could, could offer um, hope and protection and provision for, for Ruth and even love in the marriage bond and context. Wow, isn't this wonderful? And so she comes and he says, he says, verse 10, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Now you might say, well, this is a strange thing in this culture. 
you know i mean in our our culture unless it's unless it's a leap year usually the man proposes to i mean, i think today anything goes but sadly but but um but but boaz would never even though within his heart he genuinely loves her in his heart he want he he wants to care for her and provide for her and god was at work in his heart and he too has been pursued by grace but he would never have proposed because because he was a generation older and within the, and within jewish culture that would never have happened and so it it was it wasn't unusual for for a woman who was proposing to a man of a different generation this what she's doing is not unusual we have to understand the jewish culture but he says my daughter he's very respectful you have made this kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after the younger men you've not gone after those who are rich or even those who are poor no no now my daughter do not fear for i will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen here we have it they know that you are a worthy woman and verse 12 and now it is true that i am a redeemer yet there is a redeemer nearer than i remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good let him do it if not if he's not willing to redeem you then as the lord lives i will redeem you lie down until the morning and so the story progresses but this is the key in closing this is the key her hope is found in the kinsman redeemer and boaz if you like he foreshadows a greater kinsman redeemer the lord jesus christ and our hope tonight is found in nothing less than in this kinsman redeemer the lord jesus christ that, that he indeed is the one who is able to redeem you he's able to redeem us he's able to buy us back he, he's able to to do something that no one else can do there is no other uh, person there is no other way but this redeemer god's son the lord jesus christ that he offers us hope tonight uh, and you should never lose sight of that uh, that uh, there is a redeemer jesus god's own son so as we come every page whispers his name uh, every page points us uh, to the sovereignty and to the providential care of our god and how does god redeem his people through his son how does jesus redeem us well we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold but we're redeemed by his shed blood the blood of god's lamb that was shed for the remission of your sin for the forgiveness of my sin and without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sin so it was important it was significant it, it was it was right that jesus should die because without jesus bearing our sin without jesus coming to redeem his people without jesus coming and willing to operate and to and to to function and to live in total submission to his father unless jesus was willing to go to the cross there was there was no other way there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin he only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in and so we see this lovely story this marriage proposal will you cover me will you cover me and it's symbolic isn't it that that he covers her that she uncovers his feet 
and he covers her. And all these things take place, don't they? Uh, in the darkness. But the dawn of the morning was soon coming. And so the matter would be dealt with in public view. And, and so we who were in darkness, the voice of the Lord called to us and his voice pierced that darkness. And on the cross, there were those hours of darkness as the judgment of God fell upon him. That judgment should have been for us. And yet we know that the dawn of the morning was soon coming when the matter would be fixed. And Jesus Christ, he fixed the matter once for all through his death on the cross. He cried, not I'm finished, he cried it, referring to his work, referring to his redemptive work. It is finished. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And so this marriage proposal it is precious, it's real, it's authentic, but it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of, of how we can, can know a kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so we as his people, we as his church are his bride. And one day uh, we will be together and we'll sit down to the, 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 the marriage supper of the Lamb and uh, he will present his bride without spot and without blemish. Why? Because only Jesus Christ is able to redeem us from our sins and to present us without fault and with, with exceeding joy in the presence of his Father. What an amazing, what an amazing truth that is. What an amazing story of God's love for you and for me. And so you can read on the story ongoing uh, and we know what happens that the nearer redeemer, um, he, he's, he's so caught up and concerned uh, with, with, his, with, his, um, uh, with his wealth and with any, any inheritance that he may leave his children, that he forgoes the opportunity. Boaz steps in and he, he marries young Ruth. And we see that they give birth to a child, Obed. And you see in the ancestry of the king, Matthew chapter 1, that you'll see that through God's sovereignty and providential care, uh, that, that actually this came about in order for Jesus to be born of great David. And he, the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, is great David's greater son. Isn't it wonderful how, ever, how God pulls everything together in order for his name to be known, for his name to be honoured, and for his name to be glorified. Such love, wonderful love, great love, authentic love. And as we think of the love of God, the love of God's only found in Christ Jesus. And we need to trust in him and he alone is able to redeem. He alone is able to save.